The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One moment, a business is on top of its game, profitable and well-respected. In the next moment, it could be the victim of a major fraud with potentially catastrophic consequences, financial losses, damaged reputation, diminished stakeholder value, scrutiny, even bankruptcy. These stories are all too common in today's business headlines. While some organizations recover, others don't make it. How do you minimize the risk of fraud and avoid the devastation? Welcome to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Our goal is to prevent your organization from becoming one of the statistics. Now, here is Chris Marquet. Welcome back, Fraud Talkers. Today, we have a very special guest, Brian Jenkins, who I first met uh, way back in the middle uh, or late 1980s um, when we both worked at the same risk mitigation firm. Uh, so I've known Brian for about 25 years, and uh, it's a distinct pleasure of mine to welcome to the show. Uh, uh, Brian, how are you? Thank you very much, Chris. I'm fine. Terrific. Well, we, so we... Um, we're going to listen. I'm just going to tell listen. We're going to depart a bit from our usual uh, discussion of uh, you know your typical white collar frauds that uh, you normally go into. And one of the things my mantra is, you know, there's at any time in any organization, there's always somebody up to no good, uh, <clears throat> which I think one of our other former colleagues used to say. Uh, but this is true also for nation states in the area of terrorism, as it is within corporations as it relates to fraud. There's always somebody who's up to no good planning and and uh, and prodding and and uh, looking to try to take advantage and and hurt the United States in some way or the West uh, the West in another way. Um, I also want to remind our listeners that um, the call in line to the program, if you want to join the discussion, have a question is eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero, and uh, you can also find us on the major social media. You can find us on the Voice America website and our homepage, as well as on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Our uh, our um, a handle at Twitter is ha- at Fraud Talk, one word, and we use the hashtag Fraud Talk uh, for that. You can also find us on Blogspot. So, Brian. Um, Thank you again for for joining us. Uh, it's a distinct pleasure to have you. Uh, you you uh, just one thing I want to tell our listeners about. You know, Brian is a warfighter by training. He came out he of uh, the uh, the U.S. Army is in the Special Forces. He did four tour, tours in uh, as a Green Beret in Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos. Uh, also served in the Dominican Republic uh, back in the 1960s. Um, Brian was commissioned in the infantry, became a paratrooper, and ultimately is a captain in the Green Berets, and he's a 
decorated combat veteran. Um, in 1996, uh, President Clinton appointed uh, Brian to the White House Commission on Aviation Security and Safety. Uh, from 99 to 2000, he served as an advisor to the National Commission on Terrorism. And in 2000, he was appointed by the U.S. Comptroller General's Advisory Board. He's a research associate uh, at the Mineta Transportation Institute, uh, where he uh, directs uh, continuing research on protecting surface transportation against terrorist attacks. Brian is currently the senior advisor to the president of the RAND Corporation and has been the author of numerous books, reports, white papers, and articles related to various uh, terrorism-related and global security-related issues. Um, He wrote a book, uh, Will Terrorists Go Nuclear?, which was published in 2008, and he was previously... uh, uh, the chairman of the political science department at the Rand Corporation, and um, he's num- authored numerous other uh, articles and papers. Just a prolific writer. Uh, you can see him almost every week, uh, published on in the Hill and in other places on behalf of the Rand Corporation. Um, Brian, also Brian, I want to make sure we get you. You've got your own. In addition to people can go see Brian's uh, bio on the Rand Corporation website, but you also have got your own website, Brian Michael. Jenkins.com, and you can follow Brian on his Twitter handle, which is at Brian M. Jenkins, all one word. So anyway, with all that long introduction, Brian, welcome again. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Just so much to talk with you about Brian, and I, th- you know, I think you know we look at the world today. It's it's almost, it's like it's on fire. I mean, there's just so many things going on uh, globally, particularly in the Middle East, uh, with respect to Islamic militants uh, and extremists. Uh, the ISIS group obviously has uh, has uh, emerged, and it seems to have come literally out of nowhere. But I, I know that's not the case. It's it's been developing for a few years, uh, but now it controls a huge uh, landmass. Uh, uh, well, you know, they're, they're the so-called caliphate that they're creating in between Syria and Iraq, uh, and they are literally on the outskirts of Baghdad, uh, which is at risk. Um, and you hear of now, you know, we've got al-Qaeda still out there, and this new group, uh, al-Qaeda, splinned off the Khorasan group that was specifically targeted in, in the recent airstrikes. Um, you just penned a piece uh, in the Hill uh, entitled "An Inconvenient War," which uh, which discusses this this whole uh, issue of ISIS. T- tell us. I, I know this is a big topic, Brian, and I'll let you I'll let you go with it. Um, tell us about the risk of ISIS, the rise of ISIS, where it's going, where it's heading. Can it be stopped? You know, what do we need to do? Uh, are what w- is what we're doing sufficient, etc.? Uh, just there's a whole slew of issues there. Well, well, just to, to begin with the basics, I mean, ISIS is a jihadist group that is uh, really an offshoot of al-Qaeda's ideology. Uh, Al-Qaeda and ISIS share the same uh, worldviews and, and belief systems, although uh, ISIS itself is a, a disobedient faction that was, uh, in fact, expelled from al-Qaeda by al-Qaeda's central leadership. Uh, The dispute was over who was going to manage uh, the jihadist operations in Syria and Iraq, where where ISIS has its original original base. Uh, ISIS also claimed uh, to be uh, in charge of operations in Syria, 
And in fact, that's really kind of where its name comes from. ISIS means the Islamic State of Iraq, and the S stands for al-Sham, Sham in Arabic meaning the north. Now, north of what? Uh, when uh, the Prophet's soldiers came out of the Arabian Peninsula to begin their conquest of the Middle East and across North Africa, uh, this area was to their north. They erupted into the north, into what we now call uh, Syria and Iraq. The, the actual area uh, generally encompasses uh, Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, Palestine, of course, Israel, and, and, and even a slice of, of, of Turkish territory it, it, itself. Um, the Al-Qaeda group in Syria, Jabhat al-Nusra, uh, rejected ISIS's claim of leadership and appealed to the central uh, leader of al-Qaeda for adjudication. Uh, and Ayman al-Zawahiri, Osama bin Laden's successor, ruled in favor of Jabhat al-Nusra, saying that uh, uh, al-Nusra would be in control in Syria and ISIS would be in control in Iraq. Um, the leader of uh, ISIS, a man who calls himself uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, it's, it's, it's not his real name, uh, responded defiantly that he answered to God, not to Zawahiri, and so the two organizations actually ended up fighting with one another. Meanwhile, ISIS, which had the reputation for being the most brutal group uh, in the region, expanded uh, across Iraq uh, rapidly, drawing strength from fighters coming from Syria uh, and in alliance with local Sunni tribes in, in Iraq and even some ex Baathist uh, officers that had served under Saddam Hussein, uh, and drove the Iraqi army out of a number of uh, positions, a number of towns in, in western uh, Iraq and northern Iraq, including Mosul. And when I say drove, I should put that in quotes, because really the Iraqi army folded. Uh, ISIS has not run into uh, really a determined defense, and therefore its advance has less to do with its military uh, capacity and more to do with the hollow power that it's faced. It now, as you correctly point out, is at the gates of Baghdad. And in Baghdad, it's, it, it certainly is beginning to run into a demographic wall, and that is the areas where ISIS has expanded most rapidly are Sunni dominated areas. Uh, Baghdad and the area to the south and east are uh, Shia-dominated areas. And this would be an, now an existential fight for the Shias, not just the Iraqi army, but the Shia militias uh, and others who would face uh, an uncertain fate under ISIS leadership. Uh, nonetheless, they are pressing forward in Baghdad and, and certainly have demonstrated a capacity 
to infiltrate the city and carry on a terrorist campaign, which they have been doing in the form of combat, uh, uh, car bombs for a number, uh, a number of months. Uh, they also may be able to launch a major attack from within. I mean, go back in history. Uh, uh, Viet Cong guerrillas slip through defensive rings manned by American combat divisions during the Vietnam War to penetrate Saigon and other cities in South Vietnam, and they carried out the Tet Offensive in 1968. Now, the attackers didn't take over uh, the city of Saigon, but they launched attacks on key high-profile targets. And it had a huge propaganda and psychological effect. Precisely. They were ultimately defeated, but it took nearly two weeks of hard fighting to restore uh, the situation in Saigon. The fighting in Hue uh, went on for more than three weeks. And while the Tet Offensive and subsequent Viet Cong offensives ultimately destroyed the organization, the psychological and political damage was done um, we were essentially from that point on uh, in the business of withdrawing forces. Now, I'm not saying that ISIS has anywhere near the level of capability of the Viet Cong. After all, the Viet Cong had several hundred thousand fighters. But as we saw in Mumbai in 2008, another historical right. point, even a handful of suicide attackers can paralyze a large city for several days. So that is something, uh, that's something of concern. Just, uh, just a quick uh, uh, technical question, Brian. Uh, we have to go to break in about a minute. Um, why does the administration call the group ISIL, I-S-I-L, in Levant, uh, as, a ver- as opposed to ISIS, which they call themselves? You know, people have made much of, of, of these these name differences. ISIL, the Levant, simply there, the L refers to the Levant, which means the East. And it's the point of view, the perspective there of, of, of ancient Rome, the sun rose uh, in the, the East. So what we refer to as the East, uh, uh, the attackers refer to as the North. The real difference in meaning comes as to whether people are going to hear uh, in the United States are going to call it ISIS or ISIL or instead accept the group's claim and call it the Islamic State, which is its own preferred name. I got it. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm not sure why the administration continues to describe it that way because it just seems odd when everyone else is calling it ISIS or just IS. It is, it is, as I say, it's something they started with. It became uh, the routine. I, I wouldn't attribute great political meaning to, to uh, these labels that are attached to the group, either by ourselves or, or even by themselves. I mean, we, uh, the group can be called ISIS. It's not incorrect in government circles to call it ISIL. Uh, various newspapers and uh, outlets have adopted their own editorial, made their own editorial decisions on this. Um, as I say, the big one is whether um, it is called the Islamic State. The French government just recently said they weren't going to call them the Islamic State, but the general Arabic term, Daesh, uh, which, which um, I'm not sure that has a pejorative uh, connotation, but uh, at least not allowing them 
to uh, not going along with their own pretensions. Right. Okay. So we're going to have to take a break. We'll be right back with uh, more with Brian Jenkins. Thank you. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back, Fraud Talkers. Today, we're veering away a little bit from the white-collar fraud issues, and we're talking today with uh, my special guest, Brian Jenkins, who is a world-class expert on the area of terrorism, has written many articles, books, white papers, and is a highly sought-after analyst uh, by governments uh, around the globe, um, traveling constantly. Uh, Brian, welcome back. Thank you. So we were talking a bit about ISIS and the the threat it's posing, um, and uh, you know they're sitting on the uh, the edge of Baghdad. But we've got the we've got the uh, Sunnis in the in the south and the Shia in the north, and uh, so so you 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 describe you know they're, the 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 Shia are going to have a uh, existential uh, um, fight on their hands here. 
Well, we, we, we certainly saw what happens um, when, when ISIS takes over these towns. I mean, there were mass executions of Shia soldiers. There were uh, uh, certainly atrocities uh, committed against other uh, religious minorities in, in Iraq, uh, Christians, uh, Yazidis. Uh, I mean, I saw, I was uh, recently in the Middle East and, and speaking with the head of the uh, Yazidi community there, and, and he showed me uh, the photos. These were, you know, cell phone photos of these harrowing pictures of, of Yazidi refugees streaming away from these towns into the mountains. Um, you know, in, in many cases, uh, carrying family members with them, unable to bury the dead in the desert because they lacked shovels, uh, being evacuated uh, by helicopters from, from mountainsides. Uh, indeed, the head of the Yazidi community himself uh, broke his leg in a helicopter crash because the helicopter was overloaded. So that's, that's what we can expect. I mean, we've seen these beheadings. We've seen crucifixions. We've seen mass executions. We've seen... Uh, rape as a as a strategic weapon. We've seen young girls being sold into slavery. Those are the human values of 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 ISIS, and so any organization facing that either is terrified by it or will fight with its back to the wall to the death. Now, sometimes in domestic debates about what the United States should do to to blunt the threat posed by uh, ISIS. Um, Americans sometimes forget that the adversary also has options, and and certainly a determined force. ISIS will counter the bombing campaign. Indeed, we can say that in publicizing its its brutal murder of two American journalists uh, and threatening another, ISIS must have anticipated provoking some kind of American response. Some suggest it may have miscalculated, but it's too early to say. You know, analysts still debate whether al-Qaeda intended the 9-11 attacks to drive Americans out of the Middle East or to provoke an American military intervention that would mobilize Islam against the United States. Which they got. Uh, which, they, which they got. Now, ISIS may feel confident that it can ride out the American-led bombing campaign, uh, drawing sympathy and support by merely surviving. Uh, the coalition arrayed against it is, to a certain degree, fragile and, and, and may not hold for the long duration envisioned for the campaign. Uh, the United States could find itself isolated uh, I mean, so, I mean, what we have now, Brian, is we we're, we have a, a true safe haven, a, a large swath of land of of territory, where the jihadists have, have free reign. Um, that is true, and and of course now the bombing campaign says that that's not going to be an entirely safe haven. That um, uh, certainly aircraft can go after uh, ISIS. Facilities, ISIS installations, uh, ISIS weapons in the field, artillery, uh, armor, things of that sort, and any concentration of of uh, forces. The difficulty is that where uh, 
ISIS is Im- embedded in the cities, and that may be one of its defensive mechanisms to embed itself in, in, embed itself into the civilian population. Um, then we could see uh, really run the risk of, of heavier civilian casualties, and indeed. ISIS could use uh, various techniques of deception to lure the bombers into attacks on civilian targets. We, do, we don't have the on-the-ground intelligence that the United States once had when its forces occupied Iraq. Um, and, of course, mounting civilian casualties. And inevitably, there will be some. Yeah, you just look at, uh, you look at Israel versus Hamas. And, 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 and the... there's another case. There's a case where Hamas... Um, deliberately exploited uh, human shields, uh, uh, deliberately exposed its own civilian population to danger by co-locating its its, uh, rocket launches with with schools and hospitals and, and civilian targets. And and that turns the world, uh, that turns world opinion against continued bombing. And of course, in the case of of Iraq or Syria, uh, all bombs that fall upon civilians will be blamed upon the Americans, no matter what what the nationality of the aircraft. Of course. Right. Um, So so one is that they they may simply hunker down until they can take it. They may uh, hold tight to civilian populations and increase uh, our risks of imposing civilian casualties. Uh, interestingly enough, um, they have not uh, backed off of their attacks on on and, and and since the bombing began, they have seized some towns from Iraqi forces, from Kurdish forces, uh, from rival rebel forces. Yeah, I just I heard they just took uh, the Abu Ghraib. Uh, yes, and 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 so that that continues now. Um, whether the air campaign gradually begins to to uh, grind away at their capabilities, we will we will have to see. As I say, thus far the air campaign has been, uh, despite the number of sorties, has been extremely cautious and aimed more at containment, at tipping the balance in places where they. Uh, are concentrating some forces, but it's not an air campaign that is aimed at going after and really wreaking havoc among the the uh, tens of thousands of ISIS fighters. Yeah, and so uh, really, I mean, for any air campaign to be successful, you have to have uh, ground forces that can exploit the uh, the the attacks and push into those areas where there's sustained air. Power being used. I mean, the Kur- the, the the Kurds in the north, for example, um, or the Shia in the south, pushing, you know, pushing up against the the, the Sunnis uh, or other ground forces. I mean, wh- wh- where do you think this goes? Well, you know, people talk about uh, the administration is determined to use the now famous phrase "not put boots on the ground." Um, other critics say that uh, an air campaign by itself can do it, and the only way it can be. Uh, the only way ISIS can be destroyed is by putting boots on the ground, and, and that leads to questions of, okay, are these going to be U.S. boots or, or others, and, and how many? The numbers uh, have been mentioned for U.S. troops by, by some 10,000, 25,000. 
a fair question to ask is, what exactly would they do? Um, would they take on the mission of driving ISIS out of the cities and towns it now holds? Now, as we know from, from tough experience in, uh, in World War II and battles like that of Hue and Saigon and in the more recent battles in, in Iraq uh, when the troops were there, like Fallujah, that fighting in, in urban areas is tough, and, and you do incur casualties. And, and is the United States going to take on the mission of driving ISIS out of, out of cities? Or is, uh, would the boots on the ground be a, a more fluid force that would uh, launch attacks on any concentration forces uh, in the open, but not attempt to hold uh, territory, that is, to hit, uh, to strike ISIS targets, but, but not clear and hold? Um, or will U.S. troops uh, be deployed if they went in to defend basically uh, key positions, that is, to defend Kurdish enclaves, key points in Iraq, um, and to, to increase the defensive, the defensive muscle? Or does the U.S. go in to basically uh, set up protective enclaves in, in Sunni areas? Uh, where refugees can can find asylum, establishing, in a sense, uh, uh, safety zones for them. Be- before we send in troops, I mean, I think we have to, sending in troops is not a strategy. The mission, the, the mission has to be clear. The mission has to be clear. What are we going to do? And instead of starting with a number of troops, uh, what does the mission appear to require in terms of the number of troops and who is going to provide those troops will the iraqi defense forces will the iraqi army fight if it gets to fight alongside of the american forces will it fill in behind the american forces uh, are do we want to take on that mission uh, and even if we clear ISIS out of some of these cities and towns, uh, as we learned in the Iraq War, then who's, who's really going to come in and control things? Or are things right. going to get out of hand again and we're faced with the kind of, uh, uh, the kind of experience we had in 2006 in Iraq? Another, yeah, vacuums in some of these places. We're going to have to take another uh, break here. But I want to get into, go, go back to the terrorism issue and talk about the kidnappings and, uh, 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 you know, exchange, uh, kidnapping ransoms and exchanges. Uh, we, we had the Bo Bergdahl ex- uh, experience. Uh, we've got ISIS uh, kidnapping Americans and other Westerners. Uh, and then also other terror tactics that may be on the horizon. You know, we've got Ebola outbreak. Uh, are they going to use that as a weapon? Uh, we've got the nuclear thing that's always ever-present. It's been ever-present for a number of years. Um, so when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Brian Jenkins. Uh, thank you, Brian. We'll be back in a minute.
whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. What do business and sports have in common? Both are based on competition, and the goal of each is the same, to win. If you're in business, you need an edge over your competitors. You need to innovate and improve. You need to make adjustments to stay ahead of your competition. Tune in to The Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Get the playbook and the coaching you need to improve your business performance. The Business Locker Room airs live every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back, Fraud Talkers. Our topic today is not fraud, but uh, global terrorism and, and security issues around the world. Our guest today is Brian Michael Jenkins, uh, the world-renowned expert in terrorism and author. Uh, he is a former Green Beret, uh, having done four tours of duty in Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. 
Um, the call in line for this program, if you want to join and ask a question, 866-472-5790. Uh, we'd love to have you join us. Uh, I'm gonna, we've been talking about ISIS uh, primarily. Um, and what I'd like to uh, shift slightly is back to the area of, of terrorism. I mean, we've got ISIS uh, going uh, on the, the, the tactical of, you know, once a week we've got another beheading of a kidnap to a Westerner. We've got two American journalists, another American threat, uh, threatened, and uh, we've had a Brit. Um, Brian, what uh, I mean, this seems to be the uh, the tactic du jour, and and we previously you know we swapped you know Bo Bergdahl with the Taliban uh, for five high high level you know essentially generals uh, in the Taliban, uh, but we didn't pay we, we refused to pay ransoms. Uh, I know you've you've written articles about this topic. You know, and I've actually mixed two two issues here to together. Maybe you can address address that. Well, you know, on, in, on the surface, the fact that the United States uh, refused to pay ransom for, uh, to the kidnappers of the journalist James Foley, uh, while only weeks before it released uh, Taliban prisoners in exchange for um, an army, um, a soldier, Bo Bergdahl, has, conf- has really caused a great deal of confusion about American policy, and, and certainly on the surface, the policy may seem inconsistent. Why does the United States release prisoners but not pay ransom? And the fact is, while both cases centered on Americans held captive, there are key differences. Uh, Foley was a private citizen held hostage by terrorists, uh, and the United States has made clear that it will not negotiate with terrorists holding hostages uh, much less pay ransom uh, for, the, for the return of hostages. Bergdahl, on the other hand, was a soldier being held by an enemy at war with the United States, uh, and prisoner exchanges under such circumstances are, are not uncommon. Um, so two completely different circumstances. Now, the policy of, of, of not negotiating with terrorists has its origins in the early 1970s when terrorists began seizing diplomats and uh, other government officials to primarily win the release of imprisoned comrades. The issue is not cash ransom, but, but freeing imprisoned uh, uh, con- uh, uh, those others who, who were in prison. Uh, and as that tactic spread throughout the world, uh, attitudes began to harden. And the United States, uh, the, the major issue for the United States came in 1973 when two U.S. diplomats were taken hostage by the terrorist group Black September in Khartoum. Right. Uh, they demanded the release of Palestinian prisoners held by Israel, uh, members of the Bader Meinhof terrorist gang held in Germany. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and they also demanded the release of Sirhan Sirhan. The man who had uh, assassinated Senator Robert F. Kennedy, uh, and of course the United States was was not about to release a convicted assassin uh, in return for the diplomats, and this was made clear. And subsequently, the two Americans diplomat diplomats were uh, were killed, and that really sealed American policy. The premise is that. 
in, by yielding to the demands of kidnappers, whether paying them ransom or releasing, uh, uh, releasing uh, convicted felons, uh, is only going to encourage uh, further kidnappings, and that by not yielding to, to, the, to their demands, that that will bring about, uh, have some kind of a deterrent effect. Uh, the deterrent effect is, is not easily demonstrable. American officials say that they did have word that it was having some effect, but, but certainly Americans have continued to be kidnapped by, uh, by these extremist groups ar- around the world. Yeah, and, and you've had, and you essentially have groups, you know, about, you know, back in the eighties and nineties, the uh, the FARC in in, in Colombia, and, and now more recently, you know, gangs in Mexico, basically kidnap. This is a business. They're kidnapping. The ransoms are paid. Private individuals and insurance cover the cost and whatnot. And they're and the business of kidnapping is really to to gain the financial reward You're to continue right. fur- further their various illicit activities. Right. Now, I mean, U.S. policy uh, says that the U.S. government will not make concessions to terrorists holding hostages. U.S. policy does not prohibit private parties from paying ransom to bring about the release of of kidnapped relatives. And in fact, uh, in domestic ransom kidnappings, which are purely criminal, um, ransom payments are often arranged uh, with the participation of the FBI, which then uses the information gained during the ransom exchanges to help apprehend uh, the kidnapping suspects. And that's really the deterrent. Uh, um, if the, those engaged in the kidnappings are apprehended, uh, brought to justice, and appropriately punished, um, that is the case in the United States. The clearance rate, that is, the arrest uh, rate on, on a ransom kidnappings is close to 100%. The conviction yeah, rate is extremely high, and the sentences are extremely long. But so what we have in, 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 with ISIS, we have the kidnappings are going, and we're having now, uh, and this is really for the propaganda effect, uh, the beheadings you know, on a weekly basis. I, I think, unfortunately, we're going to see more of this because the payoff for them is not whether the, the ransom is paid. They have uh, ample other sources of funding. Uh, in, initially, it may have had some utility to them, but um, it is primarily the propaganda they gain, and other groups have begun to imitate this around the world as a way of calling attention to themselves and and publicizing their their causes. Uh, one thing back to the to the exchange of of uh, Bergdahl, the soldier. Um, the had had uh, the Taliban sought a payment of cash ransom for Bergdahl, the demand would have been dismissed. Um, but although it's controversial, it's not uncommon for the United States to negotiate with enemies to secure the release of prisoners. There are ample precedents for that, uh, bringing back the American POWs from both North Korea and, and Vietnam. And interestingly enough, the Taliban in Afghanistan were never labeled by the United States as a terrorist organization. 
And that was prob- that was deliberate. Uh, that was because uh, the Taliban were the government. Uh, they refused to turn over uh, al-Qaeda's leadership after the 9-11 attacks, and the United States led an invasion of the country and brought down the Taliban government. Uh, these individuals who were released were captured, but it was recognized that uh, they themselves were not terrorists, although one could make the case that some of their behavior of, of, of the group, while it was still out there, um, could get it into the category of a foreign terrorist organization. The State Department avoided that because somehow there was the notion that down the line we may end up ne- negotiating with these guys. Mm, okay. Um, we got about a minute left. What about uh, Ebola? Are these terrorists, these various Islamic extremist groups, you know, might they use it as disease to say, you know, send 100 infected martyrs to various Western cities and, and just uh, wreak havoc? Uh, what, what, what do you think about that? They have, they've, they've thought about this themselves. And, of course, some of the statements that they have made uh, uh, indicate absolutely no knowledge whatsoever of, of how, to, how to turn Ebola fever into a biological weapon. To actually weaponize the uh, Ebola would be extremely difficult. Back during the Cold War, the Soviet Union tried to do it and, and failed. Uh, but the scenario that you mentioned, that is infecting martyrs who would then disperse throughout the Western world uh, to spread the infection, that would be possible, albeit not a particularly efficient way of, of spreading uh, the disease. Um, it, it, uh, the danger in doing that is that if this does become, as a, as a consequence of that, a worldwide pandemic, despite the holes in our public health system, uh, the United States, the Western countries will deal with it. But when this rolls around the world to Cairo and Karachi and Baghdad and, and other places, uh, we, will see, we will see death on the scale of, of the Middle Ages and, and, and the Great Plagues. They simply lack the capacity uh, to deal with uh, outbreaks of, of of this type, and that blowback, that danger, may in fact uh, operate uh, then as a self-imposed constraint. Mm, well, it makes sense. Okay, we're going to take another break here, and we'll be back in two minutes for our final segment. Thank you. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Are you and your business well-prepared? For what, you may ask? Well, what about workplace violence, cyber attacks, or general business disasters? Listen for Fear is Negotiable, Business Survival Skills 101 with your host, Pamela Hill. We'll bring you case studies of the businesses that don't prepare and the consequences that can happen. We'll also bring you best practice strategies that can help you keep your business running smoothly. Tune in to Fear is Negotiable, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back, Fraud Talkers. Today we're not talking about fraud, but we're talking about terrorism and global security risks uh, with Brian Jenkins, my special guest. Um, Brian uh, and I have been talking a lot about ISIS and some of the other some of the terror threats. Uh, we actually uh, we have a caller, David from Tampa, Florida, who has a question for Brian about ISIS. Go ahead, David. Yeah, hi, hi, thanks, Brian. Uh, my question is early on in, in your talk. The, just wondering. Maybe this is just fundamentally a, a militant and violent movement, and we're just not coming to grips with that. Um, David, I mean, it, it, it is certainly a violent, militant movement. Um, the, the real question, are we coming to grips with it? I mean, we, we have, the United States has launched an air campaign. It has brought others into this air campaign, which I think is entirely appropriate. You know, if you... If you look at the number of advanced combat aircraft, uh, many of which we have, have sold to these countries, parked in Saudi Arabia, in, in uh, the Emirates, in Jordan, and elsewhere, all countries that are now participating in the, the coalition, uh, there are hundreds of advanced combat aircraft uh, parked in the area owned by these countries who are really on the front line against ISIS. And the issue is they have to step up and face this threat. It's not a matter of whether the United States uh, uh, comes to grips with it. Uh, If there is going to be any type of uh, lasting uh, solution to this, it is the powers in the region that are going to have to deal with it themselves. The United States cannot 
realistically yep. take on the imperial mission of maintaining peace throughout the Middle East and fighting all of all of their wars on their behalf. So I think basically mobilizing a coalition was a, a, a good political step. Will it be adequate or not? That we will have to see. I think Americans are unaccustomed to being patient, but I think everyone that looks at this knows that uh, this is not going to change overnight, that uh, these situations have taken years to build, and they will take years to deal with. Unfortunately, that means for us we will be dealing with with terrorist threats, with these, with these beheadings, with other things. We'll be dealing with the effluent of these conflicts in Syria and Iraq for years to come. Uh, yeah, Great. I don't know if I have time for a follow-up, but I thought you were referring to the original origins of Islam, not ISIS. ISIS is clearly violent, but this more fundamentally is a, a, um, there's a fundamental violence in this movement. Well, if, if, I mean, we, one ho- hopefully makes a distinction between Islam and, and ISIS. Certainly, uh, uh, Muslims would, would make that uh, distinction. ISIS has been uh, denounced. Uh, public opinion polls uh, show that it, it does not have the support of, of the majority or anywhere near that of, of the Muslim population. Although it, it, it is frightening to look at some of the polling numbers coming out of the European countries where there is strong support for the so-called Islamic State. And, and ISIS's creation of the Islamic State has uh, excited uh, these other militant uh, groups worldwide. And so this is clearly, this is clearly a much broader problem that has to be dealt with. But I don't see the United States uh, uh, taking on uh, the world's uh, 1.2 or 1.3, whatever it is precisely, a billion Muslims in the world. No one is looking to turn this into a religious war. Right. All right. Well, so um, I'd like to, Brian, I'd like to switch back again to the threat, um, the the nuclear threat that, ter- that uh, terrorists might pose. Uh, you wrote a whole book about this in 2008. Um, you, you know, we're worried about Iran and their continued push uh, with, uh, you know, advanced centrifuges and, and programs. Uh, the Israelis certainly are worried about where they're going. Uh, and you've got Iran working with North Korea and, uh, you know, China, Russia was, you know, sort of behind the scenes, either working for or against, uh, you know, not necessarily in our interests. Um, what, uh, we've got a couple of minutes, Brian. Tell us what your position is on, on the, the, the nuclear threat that terrorists pose. I, I, I think it is highly unlikely that terrorists are going to be able to uh, obtain the fissile material and fabricate a, uh, a, a nuclear device. I'm, I'm not saying it's impossible, but, it, but it, that's difficult. If we look at state experience in doing this, it has taken a, a, a great deal of of effort to do this and and terrorist organizations uh even those with with more resources and isis uh 
have have not been able to achieve this. What they have been able to do is effectively use the threat of nuclear ter- uh, terrorism as a as a means of gaining publicity, as a means of exciting their followers, as a means of of rattling us in in the West. The more likely scenario that some people point to is simply getting radioactive material, uh, uh, connecting it to conventional explosives, and detonating a so-called dirty bomb. But even there, given the likely quantities they are able to obtain, uh, those who would be killed would be killed by the expe- by the conventional explosives, not necessarily by the radioactive material itself. So this is a weapon of of ter- terror. This is where one is manipulating fear as opposed to causing the kind of devastation that comes with nuclear weapons. So In it's almost more Iran. Uh, Iran's acquisition of a of, of of nuclear weapon capability and that doesn't mean they have to test a weapon it doesn't mean that they have to announce but simply if it becomes widely believed that they have a nuclear capability the issue is not simply the possession of the weapon itself but the fact that it will change perceptions and permit a more aggressive iranian policy in the region and it could set off a nuclear arms race uh, in the region where other countries uh, look to acquire nuclear weapons to protect themselves against, uh, uh, against Iran. And so then that becomes a more generalized uh, danger. Okay, Brian, we're going to have to cut it off here. Uh, and I want to thank you very much. I want to thank our caller, David, from Tampa. Uh, the, um, it's a very, uh, very interesting discussion. Uh, appreciate your joining us today, Brian. Join us again next week, Monday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, for another edition of Fraud Talk. Thank you all. I'm your host, Chris Marquet. We look forward to having you again next week. Thank you for listening to Fraud Talk this week. Please join Chris Marquet again next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Don't become a victim of fraud. Tune in for another show soon.